Hey guys, it's Walter, and welcome to SkullKnight.net's second episode. And today with me, I have special guest, Gobulatula. Say hello. Hello. Did I pronounce your name right? No. No. Please. Oblige. It's uh, Gobulatula. God damn it. It's Gobulatula. Okay. I, never... I, I would never expect anybody to get it right. Cause it's a I get it right. Yeah. <laughs> And as you guys can hear, we also, again, have Azil. Say hello. Yeah, hi. And Griffith. So, Gobs is our, you know, special guest this time. I uh, wanted to give you a chance to introduce yourself and tell us how you got connected to Berserk and Skull Knight. Ooh, well, who I am, I'm just, just some guy on the forum that, you know, likes Berserk a whole lot. Uh, a whole, whole lot. Uh... I started, uh, you know, I forget when I started posting, it was like, uh, quite a while ago. I got into Berserk like a lot of people else, uh, I, uh, watched the anime series, and then, uh, a while after, it was years and years after, my friend in college said, hey, you gotta read the, you gotta read the manga, man, it's got, like, so much more. But anyway, yeah, I, I started coming to Skull Knight, because I, I think that same friend um, suggested I go to that site. So then you came on Skull Knight, and you... I lurked in, or for... Or instantly a celebrity. Oh, you guys. No, I I lurked for, like, a long time, and then after that I, I decided to start talking. And at first it was yeah. just like, oh, hey guys, how you doing? Uh, just dumb yeah. stuff. Okay. And what you guys are going to hear uh, when we start this podcast is Nomad's awesome introduction that he wrote for us. Uh, he I, he sent me a couple different versions of it, and I kept saying, maybe it could be like this, maybe it could be like this. I felt really stupid because I am not a musician at all, but I had something in mind, like how I wanted it to sound. And basically, the only cues I gave him were, make it sound more like Berserk. And I think he really landed on that <laughs> by the last draft. It sounds great. Yeah. I'm really, really happy with it. And... That'll replace our, uh, you know, sign intro from the first first podcast. So, um, what we have for discussion today, the list kept growing of topics. There was a lot of responses in the in the forum about what we should do this episode, what kind of things we should talk about, and the list just kept growing and growing. So we're going to try to keep it on track, but we have a lot of things to cover today. The top news, obviously, of course, is that episode three twenty seven landed this past week, and. That's really that. In addition to all the anime news, has made this week really active on Skull Night, one of our most active weeks in a long time. And so, I think a lot of that had to do with what happened in three twenty seven. And Zeal, I think you have a lot to say about that and the future. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Well, I think it's a pretty memorable episode. And beyond that, uh, I think you know what Mira said uh, in this young animal that uh, the sea arc, you know, was uh, over. I guess uh, it made me reflect on all of what happened during that arc and basically what it means for the series, you know, what it brought on, not just from a storyline point of view, but also from uh, the series point of view in general. Like, what happened exactly? What was introduced? And I think, in, in a way, uh, we are going to Elfham soon. Uh, Farnese won't be able to take off Cask anymore. And I think uh, this uh, episode and basically the last few episodes with the Sea God, you know, made uh, 
I mean, it changed her position within the group. She really became Shiluke's assistant and, you know, somebody mm -hmm. who can replace her when she's busy doing other things. And I think Mura, basically, he, he often plans things in advance, as you guys know. And uh, to me, he really switched her role like it was progressive. It started mm -hmm. when she asked Shiruke to become, you know... Uh, her master and yeah. now she's completely switched roles and I guess you know she's ready to not be just you know Casca's you know uh, caretaker anymore but to be mm -hmm. a really productive member of the group and I think that's uh, really something which this arc contributed to hmm. one of those things uh, your discussion about Farnese really surprises me and only because the, in volume 33 you know, Farnese is feeling really left out of the group dynamic. And Roderick comes up to her and says, you know, you take care of what's most important to him, referring to Guts. Yeah. And that's Casca. So where does that leave? I mean, that's still an important role, obviously. I mean, I don't think he was just coddling her. I think that was an important thing. Uh, now that Farnese has proven herself as a magic user, do you think someone needs to replace Casca as caretaker? Or are we nearing the point where... She won't need caretaking anymore. Yeah, is that what you're yeah, saying? that's what I mean. I mean, okay. So soon, I mean, soon enough. Yeah. She won't need yeah. a caretaker anymore, and so Farnese's role would have been, you know, in jeopardy. And I guess what I'm saying is, she mm. she's already, you know, the future is already planned. Mira's already planned in advance what's going to happen, and basically Farnese's role is already set. Her next role, yeah. what she'll be doing after that, of course. Uh, the relationship within the group, as you know, Casca's uh, self will evolve, is also, mm -hmm. you know, wow, there's a lot of things that are going to happen. Yeah. The um, Anybody else have anything else to say about 327? It's quite a bit to say, actually, about the episode itself. Yeah. Um, hair, right? <laughs> yeah, the Griffith hair. How about that hair? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Just to follow up on uh, what As just said. Sorry. Yeah, yeah that's a really good point, actually. I hadn't, like, thought that all the way through. Like, I had uh, I'd noticed, you know, Farnes had, uh, you know, this was sort of the, not probably not the, the culmination of a role. I mean, I'm sure it's going to, you know, get bigger and bigger after this in that regard. But, yeah, just I hadn't thought about it in terms of uh, sort of not really foreshadowing, but how the, the groundwork has been laid for... Uh, perhaps a major change with uh, within the whole group dynamic, particularly with uh, Casca, because of, uh, yeah, her newfound abilities and what she can now do for the group. So, yeah, that sort of just blew my mind a little bit, because I hadn't thought of that yet. Yeah, yeah. I think the timing is uh, pretty perfect for Farnese to step down as, you know, babysitter and move on to full-fledged... Uh, magic lady so I think we're getting cool. close to that point where that's possible so cool and uh, in 327 for some of you that may not read it I know a couple people aren't all the way caught up on the series but the big thing was that Guts was trapped in the sea god and he got guidance from the child or his child yeah his boy appeared in front of him his, 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 his boy his yeah. mysterious <laughs> moonlight boy who huh. in the water has hair that resembles Griffith's, which is kind of surprising. Yeah. Not oh. really surprising, I mean. Not, not the right word. Not surprising I didn't me. expect to see it. I didn't expect <laughs> to see it, that's all. Yeah, oh, it's pretty significant, it's true. Also, we had, you know, kind of, you know, 
yeah. foretold it, but yeah, yeah, it's pretty significant because it, you know, solidifies the fact the boy is related to Griffiths. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't think anybody can doubt that now because it's pretty characteristic. You know, some people actually have said that, oh yeah, it's pretty, it doesn't resemble Griffiths. They didn't seem to see the connection, but actually, yeah, it's, you know, to me, it's clear he's related to Griffiths now. Right. And uh, the relationship between the two, it's, I think it's pretty complicated. I mean, th- yeah. there are a lot of ways it could be done. It could go from really, they are related, but they are still separate beings to the other one and the same being, which basically transforms during full moons and, and so on. So mm-hmm. I, I think it's a, it's a kind of a big deal because I think the boy will play a very determinant role in you know the end of the series, actually. I mean, when Guts yeah. will be facing Griffiths, and whatever, uh, I think it will be very, very important. So we are seeing something which is uh, historical in the, as far as Berzak is concerned, to me. Yeah. It's one of those things where, if you really think about it, it's one of these things where Mira does very complicated things often, kind of nonchalantly, and just expects us to follow it. But if you really think about what the dynamic here between all these characters is that the body of the child is his own, but it really belongs to Femto, <laughs> yeah. whose essence is within the body. But on full moons, the body returns to the boy's form, and he can project an astral body, which has Griffith characteristics. So it's extremely complex. If you really do the math on all that that's going on, and Mira just expects all the readers to follow along with that. And we have, but I can't imagine casual readers would realize all the different connections there. That's a lot well, to take in, you know? I try to just keep it sort of simple. Like, I don't try to think of, like, the science of it or, you know, the technicalities, but just sort of, you know, they're they're definitely related. <laughs> so mm-hmm. uh, that's all I have to keep in mind. I don't have to know exactly what the measurements are of, you know, who's yeah. got power when or, like, you know, well, you know, that'll all be explained, you know, if it needs to be. Yeah. So I just sort of keep in mind that they're related. What I found most interesting about it, and, you know, when Guts is sort of laying in the dark there and thinking about maybe really dying, is that when the child comes to, or the boy comes to guide him away, like, that description Mm -hmm. of him is sort of mischievous, you know? And I was wondering, uh, like, the meaning of that. If it's just, you know, the boy is sort of enjoying, like... You know, it's, it's, the, it's that. It's just playing it's, with him, like you know, not not in a n- nefarious way, just uh, enjoying, you know, sort of guiding him and you know having a good time yeah, playing yeah, with God. It's it's what God says basically. He's you know the uh, how to say the behavior of the child is like like that of the child basically. So he's like, oh here here go here. So God <laughs> is commenting, oh is it the game? Are we playing together? <laughs> Of course, it is comment within the context, you know, but it's your whole guts perceives uh, the thing. So it's there to remind the reader that while the boy is, you know, saving his life in a very dire situation, yeah. he's basically acting like, like a child, like a boy, really, like a young kid. So yeah. Well, yeah, and like, con- I like how it sort of uh, establishes that, you know, how much the boy likes, like, interacting with him, even in this situation. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because that's another significant thing that happened this episode is every appearance of the child in astral form previously has been specifically to quell the beast, to send the beast back, to get cuts back on his feet. This is not that. You know, you could you could previously we previously we could have interpreted the kid's actions as just protecting Casca because yeah. when the beast is out and about, yeah. he's a threat to Casca and the kid immediately because he's right next to him. In this case, 
is nowhere near the group. But he goes out of his way to project his astral form and save his father, basically. So it really, it's a different dynamic between those two characters now. That you know, I'm glad that's the case, but I, I couldn't have been sure that that was the case. I, I kind of had a fear that it was acting out of preservation of its mom only, but that's not the case well, anymore. That's, that's great. I didn't think that just because of that, like the scene when uh, you know they're all sitting in that cabin. And they're mm-hmm. interacting, and it's sort of, that's sort of like, that sort of is a little microcosm of this whole thing, because, you know, the child is obviously hugging Casca and very dependent on, you know, her, mm-hmm. and, but it's still fascinated with Guts, it's always looking over at him, you know, he kind of gets annoyed with the kid, staring at him, and then looking away when he looks back, and then all of a sudden yeah. it's crawling all over him, you know, so I think it, you know, I think that's a pretty good microcosm of probably this overall situation with the when it goes into sure. superior being mode. Yeah. I mean, it guts and it's good to have a very complex relationship that they could, we could talk about forever. Yeah. Um, uh, go ahead, Azil. No, I was going to say, uh, it's a continuation of what, what, you know, was already the case with, uh, the demon child. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. when the, when, even when Griffiths in volume 22, you know, he faced Gus and, you know, Zod was, uh, Gus were, and Zod were fighting, you know, Griffiths could feel the, kid's emotion within him, you know, for his father. So, I guess this is just a continuation of the same stuff, really. And even the appearances of the Moonlight Boy, the first case, he repels Gus rather, you know, violently. Mm -hmm. The second time, he showed him the light, but it was more gentle, more gentle at invention. And this time, he's outright saving his life. So, I guess there's an increase, you know, in uh, what we are shown of the boy caring for his father. And I agree. And just when we think we have all the aspects of this kid figured out, or to a certain extent, you have his name. We don't have a name for him yet at all. We just kind of call him various things. Someone on the board trying to give him an acronym name, which I didn't approve of because we don't even know what his name is. So there's no point in assigning an acronym to it yet. Let's, let's hold off on that, guys. Yeah. But in episode 243, I think a lot of people don't know, is that the episode itself is called Superior Being, but if you look at the what's called the Furigana, which is the small, te- small text next to that. It says John Anin, J-A-N-A-N-N-I-N, I think it is. Yeah. And doesn't really mean anything. Me and Mazil for a while, for a couple of years now, we've trying to find out exactly if that's some kind of other language. Maybe, you know, does it have a meaning in another language? Because it doesn't mean anything in Japanese. I think it's written in katakana, is that right? Uh, yeah. So what that means is it's not. It's generally that means that it's foreign to Japan. It's a, it's a word trying to convey in, in Japanese, but not yeah. you know, in their natural language. So, yep. so I, I don't have any answers for what that means. But maybe it's some kind. I mean, I've pulled up a couple of results with that. None of them really smell real. Like I've seen. I think it was an. an it's an African yep. term for yep. a, a ghost or a, a being from the afterlife, <laughs> basically. Yeah. But I, I don't know if that's it or not because the spelling is quite a bit different. So, yeah, you the know. problem is all these all these references we found were, I mean, they were all shady to some extent. So yeah, yeah. And I I think it was of Indian, you know, mm. it was related to India because at the time the cushions were very you know present in the story. But honestly, there's no way to be sure. Yeah, exactly. We can't know, but it's just one of those things that stick out there is, you know, we yeah. still don't quite know everything. It's nagging that. at us. Yep, yep. Okay. Uh, and beyond that, we had written down to talk about the God Hand story coming soon. 
Oh, man. We talked about it the first episode as well, noting that we didn't have time to do it all. We're 20 minutes in. I think we have a little time to at least broach the subject. Are you guys comfortable with that? Yeah, sure. Okay. So, Azil, I don't want to get anything wrong here, so kind of describe how this came up. Um, basically, wait a minute. I sure. Don't rem- I don't remember. Okay, I can, I can get the basics. But basically, it was the... Promotional or the, the promotional yeah. event for the movie, with the night the night that the movie premiered, I think it was. They had this two hour long live stream from Japan on Nico Nico Dojo. Yeah, that's it. And during that video, they called Miura, the production crew and the interviewer called up Miura, yeah. and he gave his impressions on the movie. And while they were asking him questions about it, one of the interviewers jokingly asked, "Like, hey man, when are you going to get talking about the God Hand finally?" Uh, actually, and, yeah. Okay, if I, sorry to Take interrupt, over. but what they said is basically, yeah, you know, the God Hand. We never saw them killing anyone. It was more like that. They mm. said it more like that. Like, yeah, we know they're evil, but we never saw them. You know, like you know, really be evil. So, <laughs> yeah. Honestly, oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> yeah, but honestly, it was kind of a dumb question. You know, to be yeah. perfectly honest. And Mura actually answered, "Oh well." You'll see soon enough. You know, it was like that. So, oh, was that all it said? Yeah, yeah, it, it was something of the sort. So, you know, okay. So it, yeah, it was, so we yeah, might have totally it. blown that out of proportion. Well, essentially, what he said is like, ah, you'll see a story about the good end soon enough. That's and right. Then, then he added, ah, but uh, soon enough can could be a year from now. When I, you know, when I say soon, it could be a year. Right, well, but he said he was drafting it right then. He was writing the story of it right then. Is that right? Um, no, actually, I think he was just saying he was currently walk- after that he was talking about uh, the fact he currently draws a one page a day or something like that. It was, oh, so he was transitioning uh, away from that. Topic. Yeah, yeah, it okay. wasn't related. So what we have is a story of the God Hand is coming soon. But it, yeah, it might not yeah. be the origin story. It could just be them doing yeah. <laughs> we, them doing evil yeah. stuff. Is the implication? <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Well, that's yeah. see. This is the value of having someone close to you that can read and understand Japanese, because we're just grabbing at straws a lot of the time. You know. Yeah. It's great to be able to check the source and see exactly what it is that's happening, because everyone was posting that. I mean, not just us. It was that was what was being said, even on two uh, two two ch. I don't even know how to pronounce that. It's uh, Nichiniru. Oh, really? Okay, Nichiniru. Okay. Yeah, so they were talking about it as well. So Japanese people pronounce it at least. Okay. Cool. The Japanese forum basically was talking about it as well, and anyway, um, I kind of guess that kind of wraps a bow on that because that could be anything. That could be that could just be showing us what the God Hand's position is in this new world. Yeah, and it's as simple as that, you know. Well, that's what, what that's what it sounds like now. Uh, yeah. You know, if you know if his line was cryptic, like you know, you'll see soon enough. That just sort of sounds like follow up on what we saw in the Fantasia episode. Yep. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I think I think you know. Uh, for the origin story, we kind of got carried away. I think it will more likely be, you know, about what they're doing in the world right now. So basically, mm-hmm. just you know, fucking things up and establishing <laughs> themselves as, uh, you know, rulers of the world. Yeah, so, this is something. Still, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was going to say it's still something pretty cool to me. I mean, yeah, sure, an origin story would be cool, but to see, you know, all of them basically just, you know, do, you know, dominating everything is, you know, super awesome to me. Yeah. Yes, yeah, one of those things where me and you had talked about seven years ago when we, when we met, when I was visiting you, I was like, what do you think the God Hand's role will be ultimately? You know, and the, the answer you and I both agreed on was I can see them as kind of like ruling over like their own little regions of the world, like have kind of like be overworlds of some of some area. Yeah. That's where, that's where I've always seen it going is 
But, but specifically, how does that work in the new world? Like, what does it even matter if they have their own little regime? What, what's the significance of it? You know, I, I don't, I don't have any idea. Still, so much of mystery around them than their motivations. So, anything extra from them is still exciting to me, even if it's not what we thought it was. It's still anything, any, any additional material we get on the God Hand and their motivations in this new world. That's exciting stuff. Yeah. So it almost feels like a downgrade, though, if they just like if they established all their own little, I guess, Falconias and things, and you know, had their yeah. own regions. Because it's like, well, they went from being these gods that pull the strings of fate to like, well, now they're like. Emperors. <laughs> I don't know if that's yeah. over over what you know. Humans are running, scrambling around the world, running from dragons and shit. Like, what's I'd the like to see Ubik and Conrad's little kingdoms. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ubik's in particular. What is what does Conrad come out of? I forgot. In Fantasia, rats. what's his appearance? Rats. Okay, of course. Ubik so rats. Yeah. What did I say? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, anyway, I agree with Griffiths. I I don't think we would just be you know kingdoms or anything. I think it would okay. be more. I don't know more imaginative. Yeah, they okay. they have to be supremely influential, I think, is sort of like the standard I'm putting for them. I mean, it has to be... I, like, I always felt like Falconia is kind of a front for whatever uh, whatever power they're going to have. Like, that's like the front mm. company, this whole empire on Earth. Yeah, pretty right. much. I agree. Okay. And What if they all had uh, human bodies now, and Void was just some dude with like, a really huge forehead? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, the the joke I always had for that was he'll be like the Grand Vizier to Griffith, like Jafar. Oh, yeah. God, that gets me excited. <laughs> it shouldn't, if... man. It would be it would be a step down for him. I know it would be a step down, but I just want to see Vord again. No, so. but he's like the se- he's the secret, you know, power standing behind right. him, you know. <laughs> right. You know, like when a, like you're talking about Aladdin, right? Like in yes, Jafar, yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Precisely. Okay. <laughs> I approve that vision. <laughs> um, are we are we done talking about God Hand? We have we have more to talk about, but I didn't want to wow. end it prematurely. We can always talk about everything. I mean, what if okay. what if somebody uses a bear right now? Oh, God! Yeah. What if someone dies? What if someone does the vortex? Where does the vortex exist in this new world? There's a yeah. billion questions. But yeah, yeah. starting with the Bahirat, I mean. Uh, yeah, are, 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 are they still on call? Are they going to get that page when someone uses the Behirat? Are they going to have to be called to the location? You know, how does that work? Yeah, well, at least knows there's still one Behirat in the world, which is the one Gus is carrying. So, well, you know, yeah, we can, might hold on. Might, go ahead. It, it might you first. come back and bite them in the ass somehow. You know, we'll see. Yeah, well, I, there's there's definitely a role to play with that still. I think the Behirat, but one the, we can kind of walk, walk ourselves baby steps into this and sort of reason what might happen, I think, to a certain extent, because what does the Behirat do? Uh, in their own words, it cleaves open time and space to that dimension, to that area where they live, right? Yeah, Isn't that a, the process? Yeah, it's a gate, basically. Right. Cuts, well, I mean, literally cuts through space to bring that person to that area. Similar, yeah, yeah. To, and that's how Skull Knight's sword works, and whatever he uses it. Cuts through space using the power of the behirats. Actually, I think that to, if we look at the world, how the world is, you know, made specifically in Japanese, it it calls, it calls to. Okay. It calls to that part of the world, which I guess means it calls to the God Hand. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, mean, I, I think we have a cer- certain knowledge of what might happen, and it, the, the, what I was trying to say was, if the behirat doesn't need to do that anymore, if it's a more immediate result, maybe, you know. Or hell, maybe the Behirats themselves are guided by causality, so well, maybe they'll position themselves where they won't be used, you know? <laughs> I guess. 
I was but thinking, Guts, of course, uh, has one. If it still works, it could be to Guts' advantage. Like, maybe he could use it somehow, like... I mean, that's sort of his only power over them if it does work. If, if it mm-hmm. does call them, I mean, perhaps a, an inconvenient time for them. <laughs> you know, they're gonna, yeah. Get, damn it, not now. Sort of a deal, oh, like... Because yeah. you made me think, like, what would have happened if someone had used it, you know, while, uh, while Griffith has been doing his whole crusade here to take over the world? You know, would he just not show up? Would the other four have been there without him? Well, Did we establish... Uh, so, I'm trying to remember well, if they established is, that. Uh, yeah, everything is already uh, decided and and fate and all that stuff. So, causality. No, it's not... Not everything's decided. Everything's being pushed... Like It's like this. Everything's being pushed down a certain, like, pathway. You know, what happens when they get to the intersection of that pathway, that's what is uh, significant. Is there's a moment, is there's a time for those things to change. I mean, it's not like, it's not like total predeterminism because there's, there's always a, a thing for things to change. Okay, I just want to get that clear. Uh, in any case, about the, the God Hand, you know, in the Dreamcast game, when uh, Balzac, you know, called, uh, called them, since Griffiths was already, I mean, Femto was already incarnated, so he was already in the world as Griffiths, uh, mm-hmm. only, only four of them showed up. That's so I right. guess... Uh, even yeah. though, even though the game ah, is not that. really canon, you know, I guess it, there's a precedent for it. Yeah. Uh, so I, you know, one thing which might happen, I don't think it would happen, but you know, the barrier is activated and there's just no one there. You know, basically the house is empty. Yeah, oh, they get man. there and like, wow, <laughs> nice, nice place. Oh. <laughs> Let's go to the trophy room. <laughs> Well, I was thinking um, it would be like it would be funny. This is not like sort of a serious speculation, but you know, if you know, yeah, say Void did you know look like a human on Earth, you know, the guy with the big forehead. If Guts used the Behirit, you know, if, and it just transformed him into Void, it would be like they live, where <laughs> suddenly everyone's <laughs> like, oh my god. Yeah. Um, you guys want to transition into the project th- stuff? Not sure. Yeah. Okay. The big news this week was that we finally got the box office results for the first, the opening weekend of the movie, and I wouldn't call them grim, but they were less than stellar. They did not open in yeah. uh, the top ten. They opened in eleventh place. I actually don't have the numbers in front of me. I think it was five hundred, uh, the equivalent of five hundred thirty-three thousand dollars. I think it was U.S., which uh, placed it about two hundred thousand dollars behind the other anime that opened this week. Um, the significance, I think, about this, what, what I want people to take away from this number is that Berserk opened on just about half the number of screens that this other anime had premiered on. So, per screen, it did quite well, actually. But the other one had like 190, 170 theaters, whereas Berserk only had like 80 or something like that. So, still has a, it would be better if it had a wider release. And I don't know if they're going to expand the theaters into this week, for all I know. They have a hundred more theaters this week. I have no idea, but I guess we'll know by the end of this weekend if it's doing any better. Well, I certainly yeah. hope it does well, so they can, you know, get the money to animate all that stuff they showed in the intro. Mm-hmm. And another thing I was talking about Griff yesterday was, you know, I don't know how much they're counting on the box office. Maybe the aftermarket for these things is quite a bit more substantial than the, than the, than the box office, like the, you know, the DVDs and the Blu-rays. Maybe that makes up more of their income than a box office premiere. I, I don't know. Just a thought. 
Uh, it's possible, but I, I don't think they intended, uh, you know, theater to be just, you know, uh, how to say, some kind of just, just for show. I mean, I think they yeah. expected to make money from that and then to export the movie to the international market. So uh, yeah. I, I'm not sure it's very good. I mean, there's a new member on the board who lives in uh, Yokohama, which is, uh, I think, the second biggest uh, city in Japan. Mm-hmm. And she said there were not many people, you know, in the theaters. Mm. So, you know, I don't know. I'm kind of worried about it, actually, to be perfectly yeah. honest. And I, I hope it will uh, pick up speed. Or, and uh, and I hope it did well in Tokyo because Tokyo is where most most of things happen. It's a bit like in France, you know. Everything yeah, is a capital city. So uh, I really hope it does well in Tokyo and that it will, you know, I don't know, kind of a, uh, kind of have a long life in the mm-hmm. theater. So, yeah. Yeah, and you know we also don't know how their budget's broken down. If they need to make make up money per movie, or is it a per project? Like, are they going to pick up money in movie two and movie three's premiere? Which is, you know, it's all coming out in the same year. So maybe they're fine with the money being spread across three projects. Maybe it didn't cost the budget of three projects to produce this. You know, I don't know. I don't have have that. Yeah, because it was you know originally one big project which is split in three. So yeah, it's true. Good point. So um, another thing that came up this week was we got a hint at where they might go after the Golden Age uh, movies, and it was in, during an interview with the producer. I'm oh, sorry, the director, and he badly translated, basically hinted that the Black Swordsman arc was where they would like to go, or where Miura had liked would like it to go. I think that's about right. I don't have a full translation of it. That's what it seemed like to me. So that's good news, I suppose. Uh, although I, of course, would like to see the Black Swordsman arc first to give a little context to what happens in the Golden Age, but we've been over this a billion times in the anime project thread, so I'm sure everyone's heard mine and Nazil's take and Griff's take on that. So, um, What do you guys think about Black Swordsman next? What do you have expectations for that? Or I hope that it just cuts straight from the Eclipse... You know, going through uh, Guts getting the Dragon Slayer and uh, mm-hmm. killing his first apostle. And then, you know, it'll cut straight to that first uh, scene in Volume 1. Mm. And then, you know, pick up from there. Okay. Yeah, I think that's about yeah, that's the best it. thing they could do at this point. Is if, uh, after they, you know, do the three films and wherever they end there. And that's actually an interesting topic. Where How we think they're going to end that. And There's a clear ending point in Volume 14 that could easily take if they really wanted to go. It's the very end of the Golden Age, as I understand yeah. it. It's when Guts is just marching away from Godo's place, capes behind him. So, I mean, I think that's you couldn't end it in, in, in a better place. That's a perfect ending point. Well, are they are they going they to end it? There is the question. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I, hope, I really hope they do. <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine a better place to end it. Yeah. But yeah, I think uh, Cobbs is right. Like at this point, it would be if, however, they continue the saga project after the movies. If it's going to be like, I mean, OVAs or whatever, I think the yeah. best thing they could do is yeah, if they ended on uh, with guts walking into the into the dust like he does yeah. in uh, volume uh, 14, fourteen. Yeah, the best thing they could do is then pick up the Black Swordsman arc from there and sort of do it chronologically. Mm-hmm. Well, they would do one through three and a half, and then jump to and 15, 14 and a half. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a mess either way. <clears throat> um, I hope that the, uh, the go ahead, project sorry. makes enough money to actually get to that point. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, because it's not guaranteed. Yeah, uh, <clears throat> we can do a quick transition into this actually is a, a topic we cut from last week, and that is, um, did the intro to the project show too much? And as I said last podcast, one of the things that excited me the most was showing those characters that we didn't expect to see from later in the series. <clears throat> Farnes, Shirk, Sidro, Serpico, all those guys. Um, you know, it kind of just it, it tugs at your, you know, heart to see those things happen. And we hope they will happen. I'm not trying, I'm trying to not be too discouraged by the box office results. For all I know, it could be different in a couple of weeks. But I, I'd like to see them get up as far as they could take it. You know, I want to see them go all the way. Yeah, and if you'd like to it. see it be wildly successful, too. Like, you guys were talking earlier about maybe they can make money over the three movies. Well, you know, obviously they'd want to make a lot of money with this movie if they could, you know. And you don't want to just see them sort of barely break even or get by or, like, make just enough. Because it's obviously going to affect the quality of the uh, rest of the project. Yeah, I agree. I was definitely happy to see... Um, Instant, I saw Puck fly at the screen. I was like, "Oh my god!" And you know, so I, I was happy to see all of them in the in the intro, and I was wondering why they'd be in the intro at this point. But um, uh, I, I'm hoping that it's you know a sign of things to come. They, I mean, they said that they wanted to do everything, so let's hope they actually do it. Yeah, and I and I think uh, Hakusen Shah is really behind the project as well. You know, it's not like this is being funded by nobody and they just license it. I think Hakusen Shah is really behind it. And as for the why the characters, you know, were uh, into the introduction, I think it's mostly uh, for the fans. You know, for us, the big hardcore fans who have been there, who know the story, it's like you know, hey guys, we know you're there, and this is for you. So yeah. Yeah, the w- the weird thing about it that was sort of bittersweet is it made me you know like well I want to see them animated I've already seen this animated before <laughs> so, that was yeah. weird you know that actually is kind of how I feel about these three movies as much as I I love to see um, new berserk animation. Well, it's not it's, new, it's, I guess is the point. I mean, in a sense yeah. that we've we've seen it animated before. It's not newly, it's not fresh material for this format. But it's kind of like, the, I guess they have to, in a sense. Unless, you know, they, they started a project and then just picked up where the last one left off, but you know, so many years have passed, blah, blah, blah. But... Yeah. Uh, well, we, um... Another thing that happened this week was we heard some of the tracks from the OST. Uh, my stuff still hasn't arrived yet. Uh, my OST and Aria shipped out on Wednesday, I think. Still haven't arrived, and because I'm going to New York next week, I'm not going to be able to hear the full thing. Some of the tracks are on YouTube, though, and honestly, I'm not that impressed with the OST, uh, from what I've heard by Shagisu Siro, I think it is. And, you know, it, it's just... Like as I was telling Azil, you kind of forget about that. You kind of forget it's on if, if you're listening to it in the background. It's just kind of it literally is just background music. It's not it doesn't really sound thematic, although it does have a theatrical air to it. It's totally forgettable music. I, I'm not impressed by it. And some of the tracks are actually quite embarrassing because they have really bad lyrics. Um, <laughs> yeah. 
So I uh, wanted to hear what you guys thought, if you heard it at all yet. Griff, I think I sent you a track, but I didn't know if you heard it or not. <laughs> I Yeah, it didn't blow me away. The tra- I mean, you sent it to me sort of because... Not because it was good. <laughs> Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah. I kind of handpicked the shittiest track on there. Blood and Guts. Yeah. So, yeah. The lyrics kind of Is reminded old... me of, like, uh, Lulu or something. Like, Pumping Blood. I don't yeah. know if anyone heard that. <laughs> no. No sings. <laughs> yeah. And we also got to hear Aria, although I think they did too much marketing on Aria, because I, th- I think I've heard five different drafts of the song at this point like we heard like a 10 second clip then we heard a 20 second clip then we heard a one minute clip then we heard a two minute clip then we hear the full song it's like ridiculous like just give us the song yeah and uh you know as i think everyone kind of agrees on this it's no sign it's no forces it's nothing it's not exactly the pinnacle of his work although i think it's quite good i just don't think it's necessarily among his greatest songs, unfortunately. Yeah, I, but it's great to have him on there. I thought it had some weird instrumentation too, and not like obviously a lot of his songs have weird instrumentation, but not in a. It didn't like strike me as being, yeah, one of the best. Right. Right. Yeah, I agree. It's actually partly why I included "Sign" as the intro for the first episode because I was listening to Aria. I'm like, man, "Sign" is so much better. I want to hear that again. <laughs> Yeah, I still remember when the first trailer for the PS2 game was released, you know, with Sign. Yeah. It, it was, wow, it was, you know, awesome. Yeah, and, uh, it was amazing. While Area is good, it's not It's not as, I mean, it's not as, you know, mind-boggling as uh, Sign was to me. Right. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, actually, because I, I had just thought of that when we were talking about Sign. I thought about that PS2 uh, video game trailer that was, you know. It's a great trailer, yeah. too. <laughs> the music and, yeah, yeah, the video really went well together. Yep. Anyway, guys, yeah, actually, uh, okay, go ahead. Go, go ahead. Uh, well, go I ahead, think Gops. that the the PS2 trailer was like the the first thing after uh, I'd watched the Berserk anime. I just remembered watching that on YouTube. I'm like, wait a minute, stuff happens after the anime, and that's how that's kind of how I I got into the manga. Like my uh, my. Uh, college buddy showed me that video and it was awesome mm-hmm. yeah. but cool yeah um uh, yeah, go ahead, was, yeah i was going to say uh regarding what you know uh, mira said about the black Soulsman arc uh, actually i didn't uh, mention it earlier but puella very you know generously uh, translated what he said so yeah uh, he actually the question was is it possible uh, to see other movies after the Golden Age? And uh, the answer from the guy was it would, of course, depend on the result of the movie. Mm-hmm. But uh, in regards to the scale of the saga, they, of course, uh, you know, desire to see that. And Mura-sensei, he wants the Black Swordsman arc to be made into a movie. So, yeah, I Perfect. guess... Perfect. Uh, Thank you so much, Puella. That's awesome that you were able to translate that. That's one of those things where you want to get something like that right. The initial translation of that was quite bad, and I'm also yeah. glad that we got that cleared up. Thank you for that. Yeah, I'm, I want to thank you for it. Just, you know, for all those people out there that were like, oh, the Black Swordsman arc wouldn't be a good movie. It didn't fit the format. Well, you know, there you go. You know, who, was, who was on the same page with uh, the master? <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Um, there's two ways we can go next, guys. We have a lot of user questions that everyone submitted, and... At the end, we also have... Well, now that we're kind of in berserk mode, we could do the reread section, which I'm kind of pushing. 
But I want to see what you guys felt. Let's do the reread section. I'm curious about what this okay. uh, thing awesome. is. Awesome. So am I. Um, talk amongst yourselves for about 30 seconds while I grab my volume. Hang on one second. Well, yeah. What's up? I think this is going to be a great reread. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I already know everything, so I guess. Yeah, just yeah. tell us what it is. Let's totally step on it. <laughs> Before he gets, uh, back, gets back, we'll be like, oh, we I already realized. We already finished the segment. <laughs> yeah, it's related to uh, Casca and Charlotte, just so you know. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm back. Yeah. We weren't talking is about everyone... anything. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Does everyone you have just cut out all that silence when you're editing this? Does everyone have volume ten in front of them? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. I'm not going to do a page by page reread, but for those that are listening, what we're looking at is volume ten, about a, th- a quarter of the way in or an eighth of the way in. It's uh, when the Falcons are going to rescue Griffith, and they first go through the graveyard. And throughout this whole sequence, one of the things that I, I really wanted to note was. The dynamic, the dynamic between the characters, particularly Guts and Casca, there's a lot of comedic asides in this that you don't see very often before this part of the series. And it's really refreshing to see Mira making jokes really regularly, particularly because this is kind of the last time these characters are really working together, kind of like their last mission together as uh, the Falcons. And it's awesome to see little jokes like um, uh, further in... Uh, What's his name? Pippin doesn't know if he can fit in the in the, co- to <laughs> yeah. the coffin, you know, or the grave. The grave, and uh, he has a little wrestling move. Uh, makes a little sound, and guts is wondering yeah. what noise he made. I think it's a sumo move, actually. I mean, the, it's a sumo. The, yeah. the yell he, you know, yeah. right. That's right. And um, further in, we have uh, them going through the grave, and they come up in the mausoleum, and they meet with Charlotte and. What did you guys think of this interaction between Charlotte and the others? Well, before we leave the the joking uh, aspect, sure. I thought one of the best jokes in there is when uh, Charlotte mentions how she didn't recognize that Casca was a woman before, but she clearly did this yep. time. And there's a little allusion to you know the fact that you know Guts has sort of made a woman out of her. Clearly, <laughs> like I, didn't think about that. Well, I thought it was just guts at, at laughing. Well, at no, well, no, uh, being... that too. That's sort of a separate. That's where guts. You know, he makes like the pig-headed joke where he's, uh, you know, oh, it's because it's so dark. She's mistaken her for a woman this time. And uh, right. but also, I mean, I think Casca has a moment there where it's clear that you know she feels different now because she's been with him. Sure. Well, she's blushing. Yeah. So, yeah. so that works on but, a couple of levels. But yeah, I, I always like that joke. Especially just that he did it, and I th- I think he says it to Judo. Like, well, I can look right here, but and I think yeah. even Judo is sort of like, "What are you doing, man? <laughs> like, don't say that." Right. <laughs> but um, the the interaction between Charlotte and the others is one of the things I wanted to point out. And uh, does anybody else notice something particular about what she says to these guys? Well, I'm not going to answer since we talked about it yesterday. So, yeah. Griffin uh, Gobbs. It's not a pop quiz. I just want to see if you guys catch it. That's all. Well, um... well, I read it beforehand, but the problem is I'm kind of in the dark right now, like literally in the dark. Yeah. <laughs> so okay. I can't like. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll I'll spell it out for yeah. you. And the, the the coolest thing about this is Charlotte recognizes guts. Oh yeah. And she recognizes Casca. She points it out. She makes it very clear. It's actually a big, huge panel where she says. 
You know, she remembers guts from that time. Yeah, from uh, whenever when he said, uh, yeah, when he confronted Julius. And, you know. Right. So this scenario right now, we have the remaining Falcons coming to rescue Griffith. And in in, in Charlotte's helping them out. So she's working with the Falcons who are dedicated to Griffith. She remembers Guts, and she remembers Casca from before, so she knows their faces. What's going to happen if she encounters these guys in the future? Say, a year from now. Say, two years from now. She's going to remember their faces, and she might want to know what their opposition to Griffith's about. And taking that a little further, this whole scene is the Falcons... uh, you know, coming to rescue Griffith. She's taking them through the secret passage. She's taking them all the way through the city to exactly where Griffith is. I can, I can see this whole thing. Just, uh, I can envision this whole thing being re- reenacted yeah. in Falconia. Like her knowing, finally realizing the nature of Griffith, wanting to put an, put an end to it maybe. And, you know, these guys that, who, who she knows, you know, she brings them through the city to take them to where Griffith is now. So... It was just one of the thoughts I had that I thought was pretty cool that Mira made way for Charlotte recognizing these characters who clearly are going to have significance later on, you know. Yeah, it would be beautiful. And, you know, it was already, I mean, we saw a bit of that with Owen, you know, when Owen recognized Guts in Ritanis, you know. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it, it would be pretty cool. And he's, he's, made the, he's made way for that in other characters as well, as we all know, Silat as well. Yeah. recognizes Guts, and, and they've never actually interacted since they had their uh, their last fight together. But they've encountered each other before, whether Guts knew it or not. So he's been kind of making way for those kind of interactions to happen in the future, paving the way for those to happen. We're not there yet, obviously, but I can't wait for them him to cash in those those interactions. Yeah, those connections. And see where he takes those moving forward. So that's the reread. Um, this is a great volume. I think everyone should give it another shot. Like those those comedic elements, they don't stop with those. They keep going. And that's the section where they're most heavily laden. But it's really awesome to see those guys work together one last time before the eclipse. Yeah, we, we see a complicity that is not really shown at any other time during the yeah. Golden Age arc, you know. It's they're, solid. They're really like friends. Yeah. I really... And, and the, the sad part about this whole thing is... It's, it's, this is very dense. There's a lot of action in a short amount of pages. Imagine what they're going to do that in the movie. I mean, movie three is already going to be a clusterfuck, like crazy clusterfuck. Yeah, they're not going to have time for everything. This infiltration scene is going to be. It's going to be a straightforward like, rescue. Right, they're going to go go down into the grave and then end up in Griffith's cell, like right there. You know, the next clip. So, I, I can't imagine it's going to be well done. Yeah. Um, we are running out of time. We have about 10 minutes left. Uh, we can have some user questions. Are you guys cool with that? Yeah. Yep. Sure. Okay. The first two come in from Nomad, and we're just going to take them one by one. Um, and we're going to, I'm going to ask, I'm not going to introduce it beyond the question. I'm going to let each of you guys answer it. So, which volume has over-exceeded expectations? 34. 34 for me as well. Um, 34. Yeah. I'll just go with 34 too. <laughs> no, you don't have to, damn it. I'm just saying that's that's the one that jumped out to me and obviously Azil and everybody else as well is because you know, it's one of those things where when you're re- it's a perfect example of when you're reading it episodically, you don't catch the the gravity of everything as well as you do with when you're doing it with the full volume. To me, to me, looking through the completed 34, it's gorgeous. The two-page spreads that some idiots were complaining about during the releases they are gorgeous back to back. There's so much me. going on in that, and it gives it 
there's so much power in those scenes that you, it's one of those big moments in the series that Mira really spent time on, and you can tell it paid off because the scenes are just gorgeous. Obviously, world-shattering things happening in, in as well, but visually, he just nailed it. Yeah, I think I think for me the events depicted are more important than the execution. You know, even though, yeah. like you say, it's really gorgeous, but it's what's happening. What's happening is, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just incredible. Well, it's to incredible. me, that was like to me that was like needless to say. I mean, Femto and Skull Knight on the same page. Yeah, I mean, come on. I mean, yeah. it's like obviously, boom. <laughs> that, that's uh, to me. Uh, you know, I mean, Skull Knight attacking Femto. It's like you know the most significant thing. You know, in ten yeah. years to happen in the I series. Completely agree. And that actually ties into the next question, which is most memorable moments in SkullNight.net. And I wanted to see how you guys took that. First, just give your quick, give quick answers, and we'll talk about it. So, Azil? <laughs> well, I would have to say uh, when Mira answered the all letter to him, of course. The interview with Mira with us? Yeah. Okay. yeah. Griffin Gobbs? Um, yep. Okay. For me, I would probably have to go with the interview as well, although Azil brought up, remember earlier, the April Fool's jokes as well, but for me, yeah. it was for me personally, it was the interview. There's a lot of funny stuff we did, the April Fool's stuff as well. But to, to me, I mean, beyond the interview, I have to keep focusing on the events of the series because, to me, that's the most exciting parts, is when episodes hit, when previews hit, when there's significant events. The two that come to mind really immediately are when Guts first took the armor, or when we first see the outline of the armor, and it's in volume 25, I think it is, maybe 20, 26, sorry. Yeah. And it looks like Skull Knight's mask when yeah. he first puts it on. That was yeah. huge on the forum. People were flipping the fuck out. And beyond that, for me, volume 34, we get the preview of Femto versus Skull Knight about five to six days before we normally get the preview. And it was just bonkers man no one knew what to think yeah no one expected to see those two characters it yeah, looks like crazy. something it looks like something like griffin said it looks like something from the future like we weren't supposed to be seeing this yet it was 10 years down the line it was happening this episode well uh, it turned out that yeah it didn't really happen so like not in the not in the way it's going to in the future hopefully like we didn't, what do you mean sorry i mean well it looked like you know sort of a final battle type uh, scenario oh right well yeah yeah yeah, next time the Skull Knight will win, of course. <laughs> Hopefully, yeah. Oh, he, he can't. It's got to be Guts, though, so I, I think, you know, he's got to have this sacrifice moment, you know, where he pleads with Guts to please finish his work, you know, after, after Griffith dispatches him. <laughs> no way, no way. <laughs> Guts can take, you know, care of Femto wires because the Skull Knight kills, you know, all the others. Yeah. The next question we have is, uh, with so much of your t- this is from Incantation, with so much of your time invested in the Berserk world, does it sort of encroach your personal space and time with your families? Um, I'll answer real quick. Yes, I spent a lot of time on the forum, and I mean it's worked out because I've been with my wife for this is actually our eighth anniversary is next week. Yeah, so we've been with together for quite a while, and she knows I run the SkullNight.net and. I'm into Berserk, and so when an episode comes out, I'm going to jump on the forums. I'm on the forums a lot. I'm on the forums throughout my work time. Thankfully, I work from home, so I'm able to kind of make time for that. But I'm constantly checking the forums, constantly trying to reply to threads. So, yeah, it's it's a big part of my life. Yeah, I would just oh, say well. uh, it's the it's the same for me as well. And, you know, this is a perfect example, actually. I'm in my closet <laughs> with this blanket over <laughs> me. 
doing the podcast from here while you know everyone everyone else is trying to sleep. So it yeah. definitely uh, probably inter- just on their end, it's an interference. You know, and for me, it's a necessity. So yeah. again, I have to explain that every once in a while. Right. No, same here. I mean, except my wife is also into Berserk, so it's not much of a problem for me. Mm, that's convenient. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a lazy guy. You're a lucky man. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, but, I imagine it's a lot more difficult for the admins because I can walk away anytime I want. Yeah. But Well, so I could I. I just choose not to. <laughs> and but no, no problems here. Okay. And do your, the last question from Incantation is, do your homes shout berserk as you walk in? Mine's very simply, no. I mean, I have a wall of volumes and a bookcase next to my office. But other than that, you wouldn't be able to notice anything about berserk in my house. Well, in my case, it's yes, I guess, because uh, I've got a giant illustration of guts uh, in my, you know, just when you enter my house. Mm-hmm. And I've got uh, statues and other books, you know, related to Berserk, you know, that are not far from sight. Other Can than you? that, yeah? No, no, sorry, please continue. No, I was going to say, other than that, it's not really, I mean, I haven't decorated my house, you know, with Berserk stuff, but uh, yeah, I mean, when you enter it, it's it's clear. Okay. Could you describe the paint, the picture of Guts? Because people are going to want to know what that uh, is. Yeah, well, I actually already posted it on the forum a few times. It's uh, sure. the illustration which was used for the cover of the art book, mm-hmm. uh, which was released uh, similarly, I mean, simultaneously with the Dreamcast game. Mm. So, yeah, it's basically Guts uh, slashing a monster with the Dragon Slayer. And, you know, Puck is at his shoulder and mm-hmm. he's imitating the slashing motion with his hands. It's it's really awesome. It's also a really high quality print. I was always very impressed by it. Yep. Uh, Griffin, Jobs. Yeah, my house uh, doesn't uh, shout berserk either. I keep it sort of like I don't know, like leading a double life almost. It's like I got the berserk yeah. cave <laughs> where uh, I handle all that. It's not in like right. the front room. And Gobs. Well, uh, aside from a couple posters up. Uh, I you have my volumes scattered pretty much everywhere. So okay. like there's a little trace of berserk here and there. Yeah. You can walk around and say, Oh, this guy really likes this series, so Cool. Uh we had more user questions. We're gonna save them for the future episodes. Uh thanks guys for writing in. There's a bunch of good questions and I'm glad you guys are asking us what you want us to hear talk about. Keep keep doing that too. Uh the last section we have is off-topic, um, and just like last week, I'm going to ask you guys, what have you been playing, watching, or reading? Revelations. Same here. Uh, Resident Evil Revelations. Uh, I have my DS charged up and ready to go. I've only played about an hour of it so far, just to the point where you can play the area where the demo takes place, and I'm enjoying it. Um, it's just... I don't know. I'm not blown away by it. The graphics are very impressive. My, one of the favorite moments I had with the game was you're on this abandoned uh, ship and the lightning strikes and you can see Jill's shadow on the wall. And You know, I didn't expect to see that from a 3DS game. I expect that from a PC game but or in a console game, but it's certainly not something I expected to see uh, on, a, on a 3DS is like you know, real-time lighting effects, that kind of yeah. stuff. I was that's, very impressed. That scene actually impressed me as well. Yeah. Yeah. 
I took special note but, uh, to actually like look for the light. Now I could see it out the window, and mm-hmm. it was like, wow. Yeah. The um, the gameplay itself, uh, you know, I wish they had a little more varied enemy types. It seems like I'm fighting the same enemy over and over. Maybe that'll change over yeah. time. Yeah, yeah, it will. Yeah. Okay. I, I'm I'm a bit farther into the game personally. I mean, yeah. I, I've almost finished it. I think the the enemy types are varied enough. You know, okay. Given the scale of the game and the console it's on, and um, honestly, well, it's a nice game. It's a very, I would say classic Resident Evil game that's been you know upgraded and made up to date to Mm -hmm. today's standards but uh, yeah it's not revolutionary or anything but it's a pretty good Resident Evil game I mean to me it's you know it's a good direction you know after Resident Evil 5 which was a bit you know it took the series in a direction not many people liked I think Mm -hmm. this is a good way to do things the parts on the ship are pretty scary to me I mean I, I was never really scared by a Resident Evil game, but I think it's, mm-hmm. it's pretty atmospheric, so uh, I enjoyed it so far. Yeah. What do you think of the I, I episodic agree. format? Actually, I liked it. It's a bit cheesy, but I enjoy it. I find it fun. Because, uh, Walter, you had a good point about that the other day. I, I wouldn't call it a good point. <laughs> it, it's, it's a point. I, I, I'm not convinced of it myself. So basically, I'm just, I was just reading the impressions of it on other sites. And one of the commenters on, I think I can't remember what game news site it was, but they were comparing it, the the transition between characters and stories to how modern warfare progresses. And I, I agree to a certain extent. With modern warfare, as you may or may not know, there's different characters, there's different places, and it kind of just, you jump from, each level of the game is in a different country in a different scenario. You jump from place to place to place to place, and it's kind of disconnected. It may be interweaved at a certain point, but... The problem I have with that kind of storytelling is it's very discombobulated. You just get different perspectives. You don't necessarily see how they're connected. If they're connected at all, maybe it's loose. With Resident Evil, it was just a little jarring because I'm getting into the atmosphere of the ship and then it cuts and goes straight to Chris in a big open environment. And it's just very... It doesn't retain the consistency that I'd hoped of atmosphere. It doesn't feel like one giant world. It feels like, here's this pathway, and then we're going to take you on this another pathway, you know. Quite a departure from Resident Evil 1, where here's the mansion, figure it out, you know? Yeah, you also don't feel trapped in, like, sort of a giant oppressive situation, because you know it's like, well, I'm going to do this for, you know, ten minutes to a half hour, and then I'm going to do, like, you know, I'm going to get out of it and do something else and then come back later. So it Right, the time limit is... Which, it works to its, its advantage and its detriment, because as a portable game, it's great to know what you're in for when you sit down for a playing session, you know? Yeah. You get kind of a bite-sized chunk of it, but... I, for survival horror, I would prefer it to be a little more, as you say, oppressive. So, Azil, you haven't spoken during this at all, so go well, for it. No, no, I mean, I I agree with uh, the points you make, but I think, yeah, it's, it's a portable game, you know. It's mm-hmm. meant to be, a, you mean, you, you can play just for 15 minutes and stop. And I think, in a way, it's still... I mean, I'm farther in the game, so I can't comment uh, too much, but, uh, you know, you spend most of the time on the ship, Mm-hmm. And I think the story storylines be, between the different characters are, I mean, they are related, and it's not too, it's not done too badly. I mean, one thing I also liked is as a story, even though it's not really related to the usual canon of uh, Resident Evil series, it's it makes sense. It's not too stupid, you know, and that's refreshing for me because mm-hmm. <laughs> the characters are, are not ridiculous, you know. I mean, yeah, that's what. That's what I expect for the series, you know, ridiculous characters, stupid stories, mm-hmm. stupid viruses. This time it's not 
not too stupid. So um, I'm just glad, you know. I just take what I can take, what I can get, you know, and I'm fine with it. it regarding the story, as as much as I can sort of see exactly where it's going to go, I really I do like the, the basics of the plot and, and the setup, yeah. the scenario. I I, I think it's neat. Uh, I'm, I want to know more, which is, you know, surprising for a Resident Evil game. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's that's cool. But yeah, I can sort of see. I, I kind of envision how it's going to go, and that's fine, you know. But it still seems really neat. Um, that's pretty much all I've been playing. I haven't even been playing very much, as you can tell. I'm actually saving it up for my trip. Uh, so hopefully, I'll be able to, I'll be able to play more next week. Um, and I've not been watching anything. I've been on the, the forums have been very busy, so that's what I've been doing. <laughs> Yeah, I've been watching uh, Breaking Bad. I'm in season four oh now. Oh my god! Are you caught up now? No, I'm not. I'm not caught up yet. I'm on episode like four of season oh, four. Okay. Yep, yep, yep. Best show ever. Very good. Very good. I'm actually. I'm the more I see of three and four, I like one and two actually the best. We'll see. If, really? Yeah. Huh. I'll. I could go into more detail, but this probably isn't the the time. Really okay. See, I'm for me. I'm I'm not going to go into detail. I'm, I'm going to keep it brief. For me, four is that that four season four makes that show. Like I was sort of like interested up until that point, mm-hmm. and then mid midway through season four, I'm like, yeah, this is freaking amazing. All right, well, yes. I haven't gotten to that point yet. So, but I mean, I don't know. I, I maybe I have these expectations because I keep hearing that. So it's like I don't know. I'll see. Well, it, there's not midway. No, I don't want to spoil anything. I won't say anything more. But I don't know. I think it's great. Have you gotten to the point where Walt... Uh, I'll get back to you. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. See, I, I can't mention specifics, but there was just there was a moment for me in 4 where I was like, yeah, this is amazing. So I won't say it. All right. Anyway, There's um, a lot of those moments in Season 4. It's amazing. Definitely. Yeah. We're going to wrap up, guys. We've had it. We've hit all the high notes of the show. I do think we probably could have spent a little more time on 327 and God Hand, but, you know, there's the future for that, and... Mira announced a break. Well, didn't announce anything, I guess I should say, about when the episodes are coming back. Um, so we'll have time to discuss things in the future. I'm sure there's more to discuss. So thanks for joining me for the second episode, and we'll be back sometime in the near future. No deadline set for that <laughs> yet. So Just like for Berserk, no deadline exactly. set. Exactly. Yeah, yeah we, we wanted to meet for every episode release, and now we don't know when the next episode's coming, so... I, I don't know. Maybe see you every, very soon. F- see you soon. Yeah, we'll see <laughs> that. Very so. soon. Thanks, guys. Yeah, see ya. Yep, bye. Bye.